On this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we're going to get into investing and kids. Whether you have children yourself, whether you're a grandparent or an uncle, or simply just like to give kids money, we're going to cover all that and more on Check Your Balances. Stay tuned. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome, everybody, to Check Your Balances. I'm Ross Anderson, joined, as always, by my partner, Dan Maseka. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I guess I'm joining us today as the resident father of the group. Correct. You've got uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old now, or almost three? I do. She's two-and-a-half. Um, loads of fun being stuck at home with her in quarantine. And you've got a, uh, a fur baby. I do. I, I don't have to give the fur baby too much money, thankfully. but. Uh, so so hope, hopefully no college planning for the dog. Uh, have you ever encountered people doing pet trusts in your life? I've had people ask about it. I've never had somebody execute on it, but I, I've definitely had people ask about it. Yeah, I've definitely seen that before. And to some people, their pets are their real babies. I, I certainly appreciate that. And uh, the, the fact that I haven't done a pet trust, I don't think indicates a lack of care for, for the, the animals, but uh, it, hasn't, it ha- isn't something that I've done yet. You're still getting to know each other a little bit. It's true. Well, we're not talking mostly about puppies today, even though that would be a fun show too, talking financial planning for puppies. But we are talking investing in kids. And I think uh, our show today is going to break down into a couple different segments. Certainly, we're going to talk about education planning, because I think that's a critical piece. Uh, We get asked a lot about how to get kids involved in investing or interested in investing or even just teach them about investing in a way that their eyes don't roll back in their head. I think we can talk about that a little bit. But Dan, do you, do you remember your first experience as a kid with investing or, or what, what you first owned? Yeah, I feel like maybe my experience was a little different than most because I have very vivid memories of my earliest investing experiences. And it started when I was eight years old and my grandma told me, about stocks. She told me what they were and that you're owning a tiny piece of a company and actually let me pick the very first stock that she bought on my behalf. And I remember reading in my Scholastic magazine in third grade or whatever it was and hearing about Coca-Cola and I told her that's the stock I wanted to own. Uh, So she bought me my first shares of Coca-Cola. Every day I'd get my Washington Post, I'd page through the business section looking for the stock tickers and track whether it went up and down. And uh, it was really engaging, really fun for me. And I think that really teed me up for my interest in investing from that point forward. Yeah, I, I did not have that experience personally. The, the first stock I think I ever owned was Qualcomm. Uh, and it was sort of a recommendation. I didn't really understand what the company did at the time. It was just like a thing in an account. And it went up and down for a while. And uh I, I just didn't have that connection to it. And I, so I think, you know, really, as we look at the world of getting kids involved in investing, having them engage in the process, whether that's a company that you would pick for yourself or not, uh, I, I think that's really step one, I think, to, to having it mean something to them is having them involved. Now, you, you did take kind of an interesting approach to, to some stocks that I think you bought for your daughter. So I, I was hoping that you could just share with our listeners what you went through and what you were looking for in those companies. 
Yeah. So, so for me, because I got involved in stock investing at such an early age and it spoke to me at such a young age, I thought it would be a great idea to to put a portfolio together for my daughter that could send a message to her and hopefully engage her in both investing and entrepreneurship from an early point forward. Uh, so what I started doing for her was building a portfolio uh, made up of female-founded companies with the hope that she could see these inspiring young female leaders and uh, feel empowered to start her own business one day if that's what was going through her mind or at a minimum benefit from what they were doing in the form of investing. I will say that was a lot harder to do than I thought. The publicly traded stocks are not predominantly female founded, uh, which hopefully will change over time. But uh, I think how much more meaningful it is to have been able to, to start something that looks like that and hopefully add to over time. And there is an investing lesson in there. I think she's kicking our butts from a, from an investing perspective with with what you ultimately landed on. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I definitely learned about some new businesses that weren't on my radar before. And uh, her portfolio is right on top of mine when I log in. And uh, every day I just see that thing skyrocketing and wishing I would have replicated. Awesome. Well, good, good for her. Um, I definitely think that's a, that's a great way to find something that connects with her. And that's kind of, in, in my mind, that's a little bit of you being educational for her and kind of being able to share a really good story that's going to connect. Um, for people where their kids are, are already an age that they can sort of be involved, you know, we talk about looking at industries that your kids are interested in. If they're, you know, I, I don't, I don't know whose kids don't have some content that they're enjoying, whether that's you know Netflix or Disney or you know whatever the streaming platform is. If they're into cars, looking at the auto manufacturers. If they're into, if they're into pets, looking at some of these pet stocks and and uh, you know things that that deliver to your home and you see those boxes in your. Uh, on your front step every <laughs> couple days, depending on who you are. Uh, it seems like it's every day for me. But uh, I think there's so many different ways to find companies that your kids are interested in or might be engaging in by looking at their interests. And um, I would start there, really. And then if you can whittle it down to quality businesses from there, obviously, that's great. Um, but getting that interest and that that imagination sparked is so critical. It's the classic buy what you know scenario. So they're engaging with brands every day in every single way you can imagine. Oftentimes, the brands that kids engage with are the cutting edge businesses that are going to be the brands of the future. Um, so not only do they get to feel you know, more a part of these things they're doing every day, but they also understand more of what it means that these things are businesses, these things are creating content or services, and um, you know they get to feel a part of the success of those companies directly. I think that's a that's a great great way to look at it. Okay, so let's get into education savings because I think when most people think about kids and investing, that's one of the number one things that they're planning for is this looming college expense that's on the horizon, right? It's big, it is uh, intimidating, the prices keep going up seeming with seemingly with no end. Um, and so as a parent that's kind of thinking about education savings, What's the first thing you talk to somebody about that that's going through this? So the very first thing I tell people is not to go overboard with education savings before you have your own financial house in order. So uh, if you haven't been saving for your retirement and now all of a sudden are going to squirrel away every penny you have to fund your child's education, you're probably doing something backwards because if you can't take care of yourself in the future, that burden's ultimately going to fall on someone and, and you might be doing your kids a disservice in trying to get them, you know, a, a low cost to them education. 
so make sure you're you're checking all your boxes that you're on your own correct trajectory before you shift your your gears to to funding college for them. I love that point, and that's such a tough thing for parents to grapple with. I think because uh, I, th- I think it really comes down to two main things. Number one is that if we think in terms of timeline, it's likely that your kid's education is a problem you're going to face before your own retirement, right? That's the likely outcome. And so if you're thinking of which problem am I going to face next, that kid's education is out there, it's looming, it's got a a kind of a a pretty firm date on it based on how old your kids are. And maybe retirement's a little bit more nebulous and like, yeah, I'll deal with it when I get to it. I just think people feel selfish putting their own interests before their kids, right? You're you're conditioned to to love your kids and want to do anything for them to give them a good life. That I, I I think it's very very difficult for people to say the retirement savings is more important. Right, you've got this tiny little bundle of joy in front of you, and you want to do everything for him or her. So uh, that's the first place people's minds go is let me give this child the best life they can possibly have. But if you're saving for yourself, nothing says you can't use that money down the road to help pay for college anyway. So uh, you know you're saving, save it in the right vehicles, and you can you can shift them later if you've done a good enough job. I also think that you know if you look at what's going to happen if you don't get the retirement savings piece correct, right? And and for some people maybe that means retirement's maybe just not as robust as it could be. Maybe that's smaller vacations or no vacations. Um, but if we're not even covering the necessities from a retirement sufficiency standpoint, it could also mean that you're asking your kids to move in with them or, or looking for assistance from your kids. And so in kind of, if you're shooting yourself in the foot early on by not providing for yourself, you may ultimately come back and burden them later, which I also don't think is anybody's idea of a good time. No, that, that would be the opposite of a good time for many. Um, so, so step number one, take care of yourself, get your own retirement goals in order. Then you can start shifting focus to how you're going to start, uh, helping fund college for your children. Okay. So now that we're, we're in that place, we're ready to, to start looking at how do I fund education or how much should I be funding education? I guess the first thing I would look at here is what is the goal? And I tend to find that most parents, their goals for what they want to provide for their kids is really driven by their own experience. And it tends to come into a couple different flavors. Um, number one would be uh, my parents were able to provide for me. I came out of college debt-free, and I want to make sure that I can give my kids that experience. You've got kind of on the other end of that, I came out of school riddled with debt. I had tons of student loans. I want to make sure I can avoid that experience for my kids. And then somewhere in the middle, we tend to find a little bit of the, hey, I had some skin in the game, or I want my kids to have some skin in the game. Not that I don't want to help them, but I want to make sure that they also appreciate it, that they're not treating it as a four-year you know, party tour of college campuses, uh, <laughs> and that they're invested in what college is, which is, it's really an investment into your future earnings power, right? Your ability to have a uh, thriving career and, and, and to find meaningful work. You know, we all know the statistics are, are way better from employment, from future earnings power, if you have that college degree, uh, and you're making an investment into that. And I think some parents want their kids to be engaged in that and to think of it as an investment versus a gift. Yeah, it's a lot harder to skip that math class if you paid a couple grand for it. That's for sure. Certainly. So, so you know, just keep in mind that all of those things are 
very personal in nature, you know, what you want to be able to provide for your kids versus what you're going to think is best for them. Um, you know, that's not going to be the same for everybody. Um, but let's assume that you do want to do some savings for your kids. What are the vehicles in which to do it? We hear some of these kind of acronyms and numbers thrown around, but what do they all mean? Sure. So the, the big guy is a 529 plan. I feel like that's the one that everyone's always talking about once you have a kid is get yourself set up with a, a 529 plan. Uh, they are great in a lot of respects. So first of all, they work kind of like a Roth IRA where you can contribute after-tax money. It's invested within the plan, can go grow tax-deferred, and then can come out tax-free if you're using it for qualified education expenses. On top of that, many states may offer a tax deduction for contributions into the plan. So you're kind of getting a, a double whammy or double benefit there, uh, tax-free growth and potentially even a, a small tax benefit today. And one of the things that's important to know is that each state tends to have a partnership with an investment provider on these 529 plans. So I'm here in Virginia. Virginia has partnered with uh, American funds, uh, and they've actually got two plans as part of that. There's the College America and there's an invest plan, but both of them are, are the same plan sponsor. Um, one is sold through advisors and the other one you can purchase direct. And you only get the Virginia income tax deduction, which admittedly is not particularly large, but you get that Virginia income tax deduction if you're using the Virginia plan. But you don't have to use the Virginia plan. You could use any state's 529 plan. These 529 plans aren't necessarily specific just to the state that you're in. There's the ability to move those funds across state lines. It's not like I can only go to a Virginia school if I've used a Virginia 529 plan. Yeah, that, that's a really important point because the way the 529s work is you invest in a plan. It's sponsored by a fund company, typically, and you get the choice of several mutual funds or index funds within the plan to direct your, your money towards. So you have the ability to choose your favorite plan sponsor, which has the best underlying funds, and uh, use that even if it's out of state in order to get better investing. You would typically do this if your state does not offer a tax benefit. So if you do get a tax benefit for using your own state's plan, that's a big check mark in that column that you might want to put priority there. Otherwise, you know, some people are partial to Vanguard or Fidelity, and you can go find which plan uh, accommodates those funds. Morningstar does a rating of 529 plans that's typically published every year. Um, and they, uh, similar to the way that they, they do funds, they do a gold, silver, you know, metal ranking for, for these plans. And so if you're not sure if your plan is good or the one that you're using is good, it's worth taking a look just to see, you know, does the plan you're currently using rank well, uh, or should you potentially consider engaging with another one? Um, things that we're generally looking for there when we say, is it good? Uh, is the cost of the investment options? Is the quality of the investing options? How flexible is it? But one of the nice things about the 529 is that it's not necessarily open road. You don't go into an account and you know you have to make every choice of what to invest in. You're kind of picking from a menu that's a little bit more pre-selected. Uh, and so hopefully a little bit less intimidating that you're not you know having to make every investing choice like you would in, in just a brokerage account. Right. Now, for some people, that's a negative. You want to superpower these investments and you know your kids have an 18-year time horizon if you're starting early and you figure that's an opportunity to to get a ton of money into the plan if you're picking the right investments. And in, in that case, you might look towards something else. So another education-specific plan that is common out there is called a Coverdell. Um, 
typically those have lower contribution limits. So if you're eligible, you can contribute up to $2,000 a year into that plan. Whereas with a 529, you can get a lot more into it. But with a Coverdell, you can pick your own investing. So if you want to buy stocks, that's a great home to do it. Previously, one of the big advantages of the Coverdell was you could also use it for education expenses before college. So that, that might be a reason people were looking towards that plan. But recently, they made some changes to the 529. Yeah, so now those 529 assets can also be used for uh pre-college education expenses if you need them. Now, that obviously reduces your time horizon on the 529 asset. So if you're using it for that, you've got less benefit to that tax-free growth and that tax-free compounding. So that that's not necessarily always where we would dip into for, for pre-college education expenses. But if you're having them, just know that that's an option uh, and that you do now have the ability to go into the 529 before you used to be able to. Right. So 529s, Coverdell's, the big education funding vehicles. But if you don't want those restrictions, you don't want to have to choose from a fund menu, you don't want contribution limits, all this jazz, of course, you can just buy stocks. And and one easy way to do that is by creating a, a minor account for your child. Yeah, now we get into some fun acronyms, right? UTMAs and UGMAs. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> UTMA is the Uniform Transfer to Minor Act. UGMA, the Uniform Gifting to Minor Act. Am I getting that right? You are. And I actually had to relook up the difference. And this is probably one of those things that I've looked up a dozen times in, in my financial services career and, and just can't seem to commit to memory. But what is the difference between a uniform transfer to minors and a uniform gift to minors account? And a uniform gift to minors account, if you're sitting at home wondering these same things that I was, you can hold liquid securities, you can hold stocks, bonds, mutual funds, etc. In a in an UTMA You can hold those same things, but you can also hold real assets. Uh, So if you feel like gifting your kids a car or a home, you can stick that in their Utma account, which uh, I found fascinating. I don't know many kids that own a car in their name, but uh, if you wanted to do that, it's possible. I would have certainly taken that at age eight or nine as I was learning about race car driving. Of course. Yeah. Why why wouldn't you? Now, the the drawback to these, these accounts is that typically... Uh, what you're doing is you're putting money into a custodial account. And that's kind of the overarching term for for both of these. So if you hear us say custodial, what we're talking about is an UTMA or an UGMA. But at the age of majority, this becomes an asset for your kids. So in most states, we're talking about 18, in some cases, 21. But at the age of majority, it is unrestricted their money. Uh, and so when, if you start funding one of these when somebody's really young, one, two years old, I don't know that you've really established whether or not they're a responsible steward of capital at that point. Uh, Daniel, I, 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 could you tell us whether or not Romy's going to be really great with her money at this point? Uh, well, we did venture out to the grocery store the other day, and it became very clear to me that she didn't understand the concept of where money comes from as she was demanding uh, things off the shelves. It comes from mom and dad. That's where the money comes from. Right. It's magic. You you just give coins to this person. You take whatever you want. The coins come back afterwards. So uh, if if you're in that position, you know, you do need to be considerate of how much am I going to turn over to my kids in unrestricted assets? Now, that could have some strings on it, you know, in terms of the family relationship. But just know that legally at the age of majority, if they call the broker and say, send me the send me the money, I'm going on a trip. It's theirs. Yeah. And personally, I did set up an UTMA for for my daughter. When I was talking earlier at the head of the podcast about building this portfolio of stocks for her, that's where I did it. 
and, and I did it very conscious of the fact that at the age of majority, she would have control of those funds. And my hope was to create a pool of money for her that wasn't necessarily for education, although she could certainly use it for that, but to give her optionality to perhaps start a business one day or to put a down payment on her house, help pay for a wedding, whatever it is that at that point in time she felt was important to her to give her you know, a little bit of seed money. Optionality could have also been the name of our podcast. That seems to be something that, that we talk about a lot. Yeah, no kidding. But it's very important. So of course, you don't want to throw more money at them than than you think they can handle. So 18 years, a lot can change. And, you know, your goals and objectives can change throughout that period, too. So, you know, don't go crazy unless unless you're certain that's what you want to do, because once it's in there, it's their money. All right. So th- those main three, 529s, Coverdell's, Utmas and Ugmas, or, or custodial accounts, those are kind of the main three. But one of the things that you and I talk about is that something doesn't have to be a, spe- a special type of account to be purposed, right? And and we talked about this on our last episode in terms of retirement accounts that you could have a brokerage account that's you know essentially a non-purpose asset and it could be considered a retirement account. Similarly, you could have a non-purpose brokerage account uh, and you can be intending that money to be for education savings. You know, we don't necessarily love the idea of overfunding 529s or overfunding these education accounts for a couple different reasons. It's sort of tough to get money back out of them once you've used all of those qualified education purposes. And so as you're thinking about putting together assets for your kids or for this purpose, just keep in mind that you could simply earmark something that continues to be in your name for that purpose and kind of keep it separate in your mind or even commingle it with other assets that it doesn't have to be a special account type to be used for education. Yeah, just just save your money. It doesn't need to be complicated. You could ignore everything that we ever talk about. If you're putting money away on a monthly basis, you're, you're ahead of the game. So uh, you can worry about the nuance and tax optimization and all that stuff later. Uh, but like Ross said, if you have money, cash money in a checking account, you can use that for retirement. You can use that for education costs, you know, wh- could use it to buy a car. It doesn't matter, but it's got to be there for you to have the option to do that. So, uh, you know, first put the money away and then later we can figure out where it can go. Don't overthink things too much. You know, it, don't be frozen and paralyzed as you're putting money aside. Just put it aside. And, uh, you know, then you have the flexibility and the optionality that we're talking about. Now, I, I'm going to add a plug here because you know, I've, I've got a bunch of friends with young kids, and I, I don't have kids myself. But one of the things that uh, I seem to have noticed, and maybe you can confirm or deny this, Dan, but uh, it seems that everybody's got kind of this abundance of of toys. And and as I think about giving a gift for a child's birthday, the last thing that I really want to add is to the toy pile. In in this case, um, and that's not that I don't you know want to see my my friends' kids have have fun with something, but uh, it just seems like everybody's got enough stuff. Uh, and and so I've gone to giving 529 gifts. Uh, Virginia has a, a way to actually give really on either a gift card or you can make a direct contribution to an account. Um, and I just wanted to talk through that with with people that, um, you know, if you've got friends that are, are having kids and they're having, for example, a child's birthday party, having that ability to give to the 529 may be one of the most meaningful things that you can do versus adding to the toy pile. As a parent, I love that. We've gotten a couple gifts that were intended to go into her 529 account in lieu of toys and presents, and and I really appreciate that. You get so much junk early on from people who just want to shower the baby with gifts, 
and it's great and the kids love it. But eventually you only have so much room in your house and it's overtaking your life. Uh, We recently had to move all of, we took over the basement and made it into her playroom because we just needed to contain all that stuff somewhere. So I promise you, no one's going to be upset if in lieu of another stuffed animal, uh, they're, they're giving you a gift for, uh, for a little piece of your kid's educational future. And I think that that's easier to talk about as the gift giver versus as the gift receiver. And I've encouraged people to do this as well, but I, I just think social norms kind of make it a little bit uncomfortable. But even as the gift receiver, I think I would be in a position to say, you know, hey, listen, if you're coming to a birthday party, gifts aren't um, necessary. But if you if you feel compelled to give something, we would prefer, you know, a contribution of the 529. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think people might be uncomfortable kind of feeling like they're asking for for cash, essentially. And so as the gift giver, I think you've got a lot of power to say, hey, listen, I want to do this for for your kids. This is something that I would prefer to do. What's the easiest way for me to help with a 529 contribution or with an education plan contribution if I'm going to be, if, if I choose to give a gift in that way? Yeah, I think that's an easy conversation to have. And I think it's a comfortable one on both ends. Uh, because certainly, if you prefer a 529 contribution to a toy, like how much more so the person on the other end is going to feel like that's probably the route to go. And then if you're the gift giver and have that conversation, you know, if that's something that the parent has already set up, I'm sure they would appreciate it. And if not, that's also a little nudge that, hey, we can be doing this thing for you instead. You know, why don't we get this started? Yeah, and and I, I just think about how, with with how much college costs continue to rise. That that that's that community of of helping invest in the kids' education. I think is is really important, um, and 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 certainly something that can be powerful. And so that's kind of got us into this mode of of gifting to kids in general. So um, let's cover a couple things that that tend to be pitfalls here. So number one is let's talk about the kitty tax. Now, if you have never heard of this before, there's basically pretty strict limits on the amount of non-earned income that kids can earn before it jumps to the parent's tax rate. And these rules are really designed so that as a parent, you can't say, hey, listen, my tax rate's pretty high. My kid doesn't seem to earn a whole lot of money. Let's shift a bunch of income or a bunch of investment assets to them, and it'll be fine because they don't earn that much, and then I can kind of bury all of these assets into a low tax rate. And so the kitty tax has two different thresholds, really. It's $1,100. It's basically exempt, $1,100. It's another $1,100 at the kid's actual tax rate, which is typically going to be very low, probably 10%. And anything above that, anything above $2,200 flows to the parent's tax rate. So you've got very, very limited ability to shift assets to kids and kind of shelter it. Did that impact your investing for your daughter as you thought about what stocks to buy for it? Not directly, but that's probably in part a reflection on the way that I invest personally. So as a buy and hold investor, you know, I, I'm typically not having a lot of transactions that are going to generate income to her. Uh, you know, I'm not buying dividend stocks. I'm buying growth stocks just by the nature of the time horizon we have. So, you know, I've never been too concerned about that element, but certainly as time goes on, that could play a role. So the other thing when you're giving a gift to a kid uh, that is important to know is that if you're giving appreciated stock, your kids are going to keep the basis. So if I if I bought a stock 100 years ago for five bucks a share and today it's trading at $1,000 a share, 
if I give my kid that stock, they keep the $5 a share basis. And this can lead to one of the, we're, we're not going to go too deep into estate planning here, but I definitely think this is an estate planning pitfall, uh, which is if you're in the interest of trying to get money out of an estate, sometimes people will start gifting appreciated stock, where if they hold that stock to the end of their life, it gets a step up in basis. Um, and so they're kind of passing on this really deep embedded tax burden. So if you're kind of in this position where you you have the ability to give a stock gift rather than just a cash gift, be very careful giving that gift because it's going to keep its original basis. Now you may say, hey, listen, it's a gift. If they pay some taxes on it, who cares? And if that's your position, that's fine. But just be very aware of it, that, that they're not getting any of those step up in basis benefits. Yeah, I think people try to be sneaky with that. And they hear different things about giving gifts and maybe convoluted altogether. Whereas, you know, where you give gifts of stock, to, appreciated stock to charity, that's win, win, win for everyone. And then they apply that mindset to, well, clearly, if I'm giving a gift to a family member, it's more efficient to do it with shares of appreciated stock. Uh, but that could have adverse consequences, like you mentioned. It's kind of the opposite from charitable giving, right? Like we love seeing somebody do charitable charitable giving with appreciated stock. But if you're giving to family members, appreciated stock can be can be really damaging or really dangerous. Right. Potentially good for you from an estate perspective if you're trying to shift money out, but you're leaving the tax liability with them, which may or may not be what you want. I think that's a great point. And there's certainly other things that we can get into here in terms of gifting. But uh, for today's episode, I think that puts a nice bow on it. Just to summarize, number one, the education savings we think of as generally a secondary goal. If your own financial house isn't in order, if you are not already secure in kind of what your future looks like financially, the education should likely be step two. If we're assuming that you've done that, there's a number of plan options there, 529s, Coverdells, UTMAs, UGMAs, or just saving into a regular brokerage account for the purpose of investing for college. And then certainly, if you have friends that have kids and you want to do some gifting for them, the 529s and, and these uh, savings accounts that are for education, that is a great way to do it um, and to have a really positive impact on, on your friends' lives as well as their kids' lives. So Dan, let, let's wrap up with, uh, with a final thought. I'll put you on the spot here. What's the main thing you want your daughter to learn about investing? As a two-and-a-half-year-old, what, what are you hoping that her main takeaways are from, from her childhood experiences with investing? Really putting me on the spot there, Ross. But I, so I think my main goal uh, for what her takeaways from investing are going to be are just the power of compounding. So to show her what small things over time can do, and also to build a mindset of investing. So understanding that by investing, you're kind of backing these real world businesses that can make real world solutions and strategies and create kind of a passion for that over her lifetime to hopefully put her in a position further down the road where she has the flexibility to do what she wants. Uh, that seems pretty grandiose, but I think that's my hope and goal. And, and we'll see what comes of that. I love that. I, I think you're, you're doing a great job. And hopefully uh, what we've talked about today has helped anybody out there that's thinking about investing for their kids um, or, or trying to get them started and is giving them a place to, to kind of tackle it from. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our show today. If you have any questions or anything interesting you've done for your children, certainly send us an email. Uh, you can reach us at outlook.com. If you enjoy the show, give, a, give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. 
If you don't enjoy the show, please email Ross and let him know why he's terrible. Thanks, everybody. Have a uh, great week. We'll see you next time.